great, wonderful God, I thank you for this privilege. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for allowing us this privilege to be together in your house tonight. Share the word of God. I love you very much, God. I honor you tonight. Praise the Lord, everybody. I hope you are enjoying our services. I do thank our praise singers for uh, their faithfulness and practicing and coming and singing and worshiping the Lord. I just uh, I think that doing it this way makes it feel more like church. We are blessed to be able to have this moment, this time, that we can come and worship the Lord and sing and play music. And thank you, praise team. Thank you for your goodness and faithfulness. And it's just great to be here. Somebody said, it's good to see you. And I responded, it's good to be seen. It is good to be seen. I'm glad I can be seen. Uh, not because I'm hungry uh, <clears throat> to show myself and, and just make you see me. But I'm glad that I'm still alive. I'm glad that I'm here. I'm glad that I'm not one of the... Uh, misfortunate that have uh, received this disease and because of it they've passed away so we are blessed <clears throat> when you don't have anything to praise the Lord about just remember that you have been blessed that you don't have that disease and it hasn't taken its effect on you all of us are probably eating way more than we should uh, Man, I tell you, my wife is going back to cooking like she did when we first got married. I tell you, I almost forgot. We was eating out so much, and I forgot how great it is to have a wonderful wife that knows how to cook. For all of you folks out there that don't have that privilege, I feel sorry for you. And my heart goes out to you. I wish you the best. There's always the drive-throughs. You can always go waiting, wait in line somewhere and get them to hand it out a window. And it, it's okay. You survive that way. But, boy, I'm doing better than surviving. I wish all of you could be at our house and eat with us. Uh, well, not really. Not at the same time. But someday maybe we can do that. I want to turn your attention into 1 Corinthians 15. Verse number 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 1, <clears throat> I say it is a privilege to be your pastor, and uh, I do feel like God ordained it, and I feel like that we have prepared ourselves with this uh, FaceTime Live and online giving. And our church is doing really good. I, I am just so amazed at the faithfulness of these wonderful people that I pastor. I just looked at the uh, finances today, and evidently those checks are coming in from, from our wonderful government. And uh, I began to notice in our general fund, had way more than I've ever seen in it. I think it was somewhere around $8,000. The tithing has been good. Uh, all of our departments, all of our funds look good. And that is only because you have been faithful in your giving 
even in a crisis. I was talking to somebody about the income of a church, and there have been a lot of people, especially pastors, to kind of panic during this time. And it is a concern. Everybody's concerned about it. But I know some that have literally panicked. They did not have online giving. Uh, they did not have uh, Facebook Live that they could minister. And so uh, the last few weeks, they have been jumping through hoops and loops and doing everything in the world to get set up. Uh, we've been that way a while. And I think the leadership of our church for caring enough and for your dedication and and all of your faithfulness to, to get us online and to get us set up that we can function as a church even in difficult times like these. It is such a blessing to me to have a church that we are so organized and we have things in order and we're doing good in these awful times. And that's a comfort to Pastor Gandhi. And uh, I just pray. I pray for you daily. And I pray that God would bless every one of our people. I hope that there's no one suffering. If you are, please, please call me. We'll do what we can to get help to you. If there's anybody that's in a bind, you cannot eat. Things are falling apart. Please call us. We'll do what we can to help you. We want our people to be blessed. Anyway, I was talking to these preachers. Some of them were panicking. I said, you know, I'm really not, and I never have panicked. I've thought about it. It is a concern. But I said, you know what? Our people are faithful. They've already experienced what God does for you when you're faithful with him. When you're faithful with God, He's going to be faithful with you. And God has already blessed us in so many ways. And because of that, the people of our church, the members of our church, the people that call Life Church their home, you're still supporting because you know that it pays. God is faithful. I never, never counted as a bill when I pay my tithes and offering. When I give my tithes and my offering, I don't look at it like I do my car bill, my, my car note or my truck note. I don't look at that as a utility. I look at that as a privilege that I have, being in the kingdom of God, that I can support the kingdom of God, knowing that God said, I am faithful. And I will be there, and I will bless you. And if you've ever had God to bless you, just shout out, Amen. Amen. Those of you that are home watching, text Amen. Send us some signals. We like those. We enjoy them. We love those texts that you give us while you're watching. And um, just worship the Lord. Keep uh, in tune with the Lord in your daily relationship with him make sure that you spend time with the lord make sure that you give him praise and worship make sure you have that time with him i'm looking at my clock i'm trying to i'm going to set my clock i know preachers probably think you are an idiot gandy for doing that 
But you know what? Nobody makes me do that. I do that because I want to. I don't want to go too long. I don't want to be too late. So I just set my clock. God bless you. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. And notice that word, if. You keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. I want to just talk to you a little while tonight about this effective gospel. We're not just preaching a gospel, but this gospel is effective. It's not just a good story. It's not just a, a good book, which it, the Bible is a good book. It's not just a good story that's told about good people. But this gospel that I'm talking to you about tonight is effective because it is what it says it is. Everybody say that with me. It is what it says it is. This gospel is powerful. This message that I'm talking to you about today will actually change lives and make a different individual out of a person. It'll make him different. It'll make you think different, act different. It'll make you be different, want to hang around different people because it's a real gospel it's a life changing gospel somebody say I'm glad I heard the gospel amen you can be seated God bless you Paul wrote to the Corinthian church of the great and awesome privilege he had been given of carrying the gospel to the lost and I agree with Paul in this statement, I do count it a privilege to be able to share the gospel. Paul said, I preach the gospel unto you. Ye have received it, wherein you stand. In other words, he said, I preached it to you. You believed it and you received it. And now you're standing in it or you are living it. And he said, by this gospel, ye are saved. And that's a powerful statement that he made. These several statements that he made in these verses of Scripture. He says, it's, it, you received it. You stand in it if you keep in memory what I preached unto you unless you have believed in vain. Regardless of how bright the light of the gospel is, there still are those who are blind to the truth. They cannot see this glorious gospel. There are many people that have never seen what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 3 when he told Nicodemus, you must be born again of water and of spirit. Now the reason I mention that tonight is that is the gospel. 
That is so much of what Jesus was trying to give people in his day. And it's so much of what you and I can have and receive in this day. People read that and they want to explain away what Jesus was really talking about when he said you must be born again of water and of spirit. The religious uh, hierarchy of our day have tried to explain it away and, and tie it into the physical birth of when you were born in your mother's womb the first time. But notice the Lord said and used that word again. When you're born again, this is the second birth. And Jesus made it clear. I don't understand why our rocket scientist preachers in our world cannot see the fact that Jesus said, you must be born again of water and of spirit. It didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what Jesus was saying there. He was very emphatic about what he said. And then after he went back to heaven and Peter began to preach, remember, uh, the Lord gave him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And he said, whatsoever you loose in heaven, on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be, or bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. He was telling Peter, I'm giving you some powerful keys that are going to unlock some hearts of men and women. And what was it that Peter said do? Uh, after the conviction fell on the people that heard him preaching on the day of Pentecost, uh, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, according to what I understand about the Scripture, and I think you would too, if you will turn to it open-minded, is that Jesus was saying what we ought to do, and Peter told us how to do it. You need to be baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ, why do you need to apply that name? It's because that name remits the sins that you're washing away. And that's why we baptize in that name. Uh, Acts 3.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given unto men whereby we must be saved. That my friend, is the gospel. That is what Jesus came uh, to this earth. And his whole mission, his whole destiny was wrapped up in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I get excited when I talk about this, Brother Cruz, because it is the gospel that will change your life. And some people want to make it so hard why is it so hard to accept that message that Jesus and Peter and every other apostle, apostle preach the same message? The acts of the apostles is what they did. They all baptized in the name of Jesus. They laid hands on people and they received the Holy Ghost. And the reason they knew they did, because they spake with tongues. 
And people don't want to do that. They don't understand it. And so they explain it away and they make it harder than it really is. They make it, uh, you know, try to fit in with the way they want it to happen. And so they start watering it down and explaining it away. And before you know it, it doesn't mean anything in their gospel. Before this salvation experience on the road to Damascus, the Apostle Paul was most, one of the most religious men of that time. In Acts 26.5, he makes a statement. After the most straightest, now that's probably not good English for us, but after the most straightest sect of religion, I lived a Pharisee. Paul was trying to get us to understand, you just don't get much straighter than I am. I believe it totally. I am a Pharisee and I'm among the strictest. All of us know, of course, that Paul was not a Christian at that time. In fact, he was anti-Christian. He was anti-Christ. Committing to prison and even murdering those who followed after the Lord Jesus Christ. His testimony as recorded through the scriptures tell us he was very, very religious. The world is plagued with religion. Religion is a bigger tool, I think, to prevent people from going to heaven than it is for getting them to heaven. I think religion gets in the way of people. Because if your religion doesn't practice the gospel, it is merely a religion of rules and, and guidelines to live by. Man is basically a religious creature. He's going to worship something or somebody. Religion is broken down into hundreds of different denominations in our world. And all of them claim to have religion. And they all have the message to get you into the kingdom of God. Let's look at some of the sayings about religion. One of them, a Sunday golfer, is a person who's more interested in making a hole in one than he is the Holy One. There was a man in Louisiana, he's so religious that he wears stained glass contacts. That's pretty religious, isn't it? A religion that does nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is probably worth nothing. Some folks seem to think religion is like a parachute. You just put it on and grab it only when an emergency occurs. People sev uh, seldom lose their religion by a blowout. It's usually a very slow leak. To avoid the risk of losing their religion, a lot of people don't take it to work with them because they don't want to lose it. Some people's religion is like a wooden leg. There's neither life nor warmth in their leg. Although it helps them to hobble along, 
it never really becomes a part of them, but it has to be strapped on every morning. And then there was the critically ill lawyer. He was found frantically flipping through the Bible while laying in his hospital bed when someone asked the reason. They said, why are you frantically flipping through that Bible? What are you doing? He said, I'm looking for loopholes. Too many people use their religion as they do a bus. They ride that bus only if it's going the way they want to go. So there's a lot that can say, be said about religion. The word religion, however, is only used five times in the entire Bible. And it refers to ceremonial observance. The word gospel, however, is used 101 times in the Bible. And this is what Paul and the other disciples said would save you. The word gospel means good news. In order for the gospel to be effective in our world, God gave us preachers and teachers uh, in the church to preach the gospel. Notice what Paul said about the gospel in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is the gospel. He said in verse 3, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not within passing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. All preaching, however, is not gospel. You can turn on the radio. You can get online and go uh, to Facebook Live, and you can watch a lot of preaching today. And I would just tell you, all the preaching that you listen to, you're not going to get gospel out of it. You can preach prosperity and blessing, which is great, and it has its place, but it is not the gospel. If you're not preaching about Jesus and his death and burial and resurrection, his purpose and his reason for being here on this earth, you may be preaching, but you're not preaching the gospel. It's different to be a preacher, but it's a, it's a real thing to be a God-called anointed preacher of the gospel. God didn't call us to be preachers. He called us to be preachers of this gospel. Paul writing in, in the, to the Galatians in the first chapter in verse number 6, he said, I marvel that you so soon removed 
from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Some of them were having trouble because somebody led them astray and started preaching something other than what Paul had preached to them. He said, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And then he made a statement. He said, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than, to, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And then in verse 9, the next verse, he makes this statement. As we said before, so say now I again. He says the very same thing again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. Paul was trying to get the Galatians to understand. I came to you not with enticing words, not man's wisdom. I came to you with the anointing of God upon my life, and I told you the gospel. And he said, it's been a while since I told you that gospel. It's been a while since you received it. But I want to reaffirm to you that that gospel that I preached unto you is the only gospel. It's the only thing that's going to make a difference. It's the only thing that's going to get you to heaven. There have been people to try to tell you, don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal, but it is a big deal. And Paul was trying to get that across. So what is your definition of great preaching? You know, some people think that, boy, great preaching means hollering and yelling, kind of getting like I'm doing right now. I'd probably do a little more, but my voice is really bad. Beating on the pulpit, jumping up and down, throwing things, moving around a lot, sweating your clothes down. Getting all anointed and running around and slinging spit and, and sweat all over the people on the front rows. That's what some people think preaching. And if a preacher doesn't do that, they don't think he's preached. For others, great preaching means teaching a Bible passage one verse at a time and simply exposing the truths that are found in it. And that's a good way of of teaching and preaching the Word of God. There are people who like preaching to be encouraging and lighthearted and funny. And there's a time for all of this kind of preaching. Then there are those who say, you have not preached until you step on our toes. A lot of people like preachers to beat them up. Now, I don't know why people feel that way because I've been a saint and I've been a preacher. I've sat on the pew and uh, hadn't been too long ago when I retired and Brother Josh McElhaney became pastor. Honey, he became pastor and I sat right down over there and I became a saint. And I know what it's like to listen to preaching. I love preaching and we had a good one. And he didn't beat us up. But there's some people that think the preacher's got to beat you up. 
They must be codependent. They must have to have somebody to slap them around and beat them up to get them to live for God. But I personally don't like that. I, I personally don't need a lot of screaming for me to love the gospel. You don't have to scream at me and tell me what to do it to get me to love it. I love this gospel without you banging it and beating it and throwing it at me and trying to shove it down my throat. And you definitely don't have to step on my toes. I don't like people stepping on my toes. I don't even like to stomp them or step on them myself. So leave my toes alone. When most of you think about what makes preaching great, you fit, you. Typically think of your favorite preachers in terms of personality and pulpit mannerisms. And that's basically what we judge good preaching from. If the preacher has good mannerisms or he has a good personality or he has good delivery. And I know I'm, I'm smart. By the young, I'm very smart. I'm so smart that I know that I can't be everybody's favorite preacher. I know that I'm not everybody's favorite preacher, and I don't really want that pressure on me. So I don't, it doesn't bother me if some of y'all think Wayne Huntley is better than me, and I can't imagine you thinking that. But if you did, or if you think that uh, Jeff Arnold is better than me, I, I can't imagine that, but I'm sure you've got your preferences. But of all the things that goes through people's minds, you've got your favorite preachers, and that's okay. As long as you don't turn some off and turn some on. I think it's dangerous when we start turning preachers off that are preaching the gospel. I've heard some preachers before and they started out and I wanted to crawl in a hole. I wanted to be somewhere else. I wanted, I wanted to just close my mind out because it was so gruff and it was so rough and because it was so, so unpolished. And before they got through, the Holy Ghost began to move and the anointing moved in. And I've seen some guys that I wasn't too turned on about their preaching because they weren't polished. But when they got through, I found myself laying on the floor with tears running down my face because they got to the gospel. They got down to where I was living. They got down to what it really takes to please God. And when we get to that place in our preaching, then we can move people and we can see uh, their lives change. And that's what it's all about. If this gospel can't change you, it's not a good gospel. It's a dead gospel. It, it, it's a gospel that doesn't have any power. And if you preach it that way, it may turn out to be that way. But I want you to understand the gospel that I'm preaching to you is very much alive. It's very powerful. It is life changing. It will do something for you if you will just allow it. A dozen preachers can say the same thing. But it's not the content that draws us to them so much as the way that they present what they say. There was a man that, a story I heard, I heard it was even true. He tried out for a church and he preached a message about hell. 
And boy, that's dangerous to try out for church and preach on hell. Most preachers don't do that. They try to preach a little lighter than that unless they just know that's what God said for them to do. And, and this guy went and preached about hell. And then the next preacher came a week later or whenever, and believe it or not, he preached about hell also. And when they had their election, they voted on that second pastor. And the first pastor didn't understand it, or the first preacher. And he asked one of the members of the church, I preached on hell, and the next week this other guy preached on hell, and y'all voted him in. Can you explain to me why that happened? And they said, well, brother... You preached on hell like we was all going there and you didn't really care if we went or not. And the other guy preached, we may be going to hell, but he was begging us and pleading with us, don't go there because I love you and God loves you. A lot of how the gospel is preached is how it's preached. We would all agree that not all preaching is great preaching. Nor does any preacher always preach good sermons. Even I have walked out of church, and I know you find this hard to believe, all of you guys that are listening, the hundreds and thousands of you around the world that are listening to me right now, I know you have this Hard to believe what I'm saying right now that I have left the pulpit feeling like I dropped my watermelon. That's what I know a preacher's expression that you did bad. I dropped my watermelon. Got seeds and watermelon all over the floor. I have left the pulpit feeling like I have missed it. And usually it was when I was younger and when I was trying to get people to like me and respond to me. And if they responded, I felt like they liked it. And if they didn't, I felt like they didn't like it. And it was usually when they didn't respond so good and I thought they didn't like it. So I dropped my watermelon, Brother Cruz. But you know, even recently in the last, I've, I matured some now and I'm not motivated by that. That's not my gauge any longer. But there have been a, first, a few times that I preached something, and, and, and I, I felt like God gave that to me. I spent all day studying and preparing as I did today. And I've walked away from the pulpit not feeling like I did all that good. And I think the Lord allows that to happen sometimes because when I get to feeling like I hadn't done good, and I usually hadn't when I feel that way, then that shows me he has done good. Because God would take my word that I preached, even though I might not have delivered it right, maybe not even the right spirit. Maybe I didn't really relate the message that I was wanting to relate, but God took that. And I would get home and my text, my phone would start uh, receiving texts and I began to open them up and I've had people to say brother Gandhi I can't believe you preached that tonight that's exactly what I needed to hear 
I've had two and three and four and five people the same night to text me and say, you heard from the Lord tonight. That was exactly what I needed to hear. And then I just look at myself inwardly and I think, okay, dummy, you feeling like you missed it? You feel like you didn't relay the message? And God is showing you. He took what I didn't think was good and he used it to get into somebody's heart. And that's what's so beautiful about this gospel. I heard about a, a man that went to his doctor for some advice about he said, man, I need to be cured of snoring. And the doctor asked him, does your snoring disturb your wife? He said, does it disturb my wife, doc? It disturbs the entire church congregation. I need help. The best time to terminate a sermon is five minutes before the congregation determines it. I promise you, I'm not going to preach long ever. I'm always watching my clock. And according to this, i got about eight more minutes. And don't look at your clock. Quit paying attention to it. Forget I said that. If I catch you looking at it, I'm going to preach longer. I'm watching y'all. The longest recorded sermon was preached by Robert Marshall a minister of Birmingham Unitarian Church in Michigan in 1976. Now, he preached 60 hours and 31 minutes. When I read that, I thought, Cruz, I don't know. I don't think I would have listened to that entire message. And I mean, if it was God and the Holy Ghost was hovering and I was feeling those chills and the angels were flapping their wings and, and I'd hear a voice every once in a while come out and say, this is God, I am speaking. I probably would have stayed. But I can't, for the life of me, think why anybody would need 60 hours and 31 minutes to preach a sermon. I think personally that is either for a man's desire to accomplish something that's never done, been done before and get in the Genesis book of records or something like that. Brag to his buddies in the coffee shop. To me, I'd be embarrassed to brag that. I've had preachers tell me they preached an hour and 15, 20 minutes and I looked at them like, and your people stayed? Roy Dominet, a chaplain of a college in Georgia, preached the shortest sermon ever recorded. His title was, What Does Christ Answer Us When We Ask, Lord, What Is in Religion for Me? His sermon was directed to the people that brought up, they were brought up on the give me, give me gospel. And his entire message was nothing. That's the only word he had beside the title of his message. There are all kinds of sermons being preached in our world. We Pentecostals have seen 
a lot of sermons demonstrated in our churches. You get the rocking horse sermon. This is back and forth, back and forth, but never going anywhere. Preachers have gone back and forth, back and forth, but not say anything. Then you have the mockingbird sermons that screeching and flapping, just, you know, going around diving at people, but never really preaching the gospel. You have the smorgasbord sermon, here a little and there a little, never getting anything solid. You have the Jericho sermon where they just march around the subject but never get to it. You have the workout sermon, lots of energy used. But when you get finished, everybody's exhausted, not just the preacher. And then you have what we call a God-anointed sermon where God uses a man to preach what he directs him to preach. And not everything that goes under the title of preaching is really preaching at all. And I ask you the question, do, do you think that preaching really matters? The answer to that question is yes, it does matter. And it does make a difference in people's lives. Too many people today in our society want preaching to bless them and encourage them and do good things for them. The world wants to have preaching to be tailored to fit their lives and their schedules. And it doesn't always work that way. Here's, a, here's the gospel that our world desires. It's the gospel of success, number one. This popular form of gospel is preaching in order to fit Christianity in a materialistic society. This message of the gospel is based upon the principle that God wants to bless you. Therefore, you can only expect good things from Him if you follow Him. The problem with this gospel is that it ignores the fact that in Christian life there is sorrow, there is suffering, there is sickness, and there is death. The key of the gospel of Jesus is not the avoidance of life events, but the possibility that you can overcome them through Christ. And a lot of people want a gospel that will keep them out of everything, keep them out of trouble, keep them healthy, and keep them blessed. But God never said that. In Matthew 5, 45, it says that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Notice this. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. This simply means that good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. 
It also means that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. And so living for God and adhering to this gospel does not exempt us from what's going on in this life. I do think that there are times that you can pray and ask God and for your family, your church, your friends to, to send a special protection and a blessing. And I believe God hears that. I am the recipient of those kind of blessings. But it has not kept me from all problems. It has not kept me from the heart attack and the heart surgery that I had. It has not kept me from difficult financial times in my ministry. But I'm going to tell you what it has done. It has proved to me that the Lord is faithful. That the Lord will show up when I need Him the most. It has proved to me that God loves me. And he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And I have learned that Jesus is my friend. I have learned that he really does love me. I have learned that he is faithful. And to me, that means more than anything else. The beautiful power of God in my life. Then there's the gospel that actually it's a gospel deal. The gospel deal implies that we can sit down and do business transactions with God. The basis of this is that if you give something to God, He'll pay you back sevenfold, seven times more than what you gave. And there's a lot of people that believe that. Churches are out of focus when their focus in giving is what do I get in return. We don't give just because we're going to get. We don't give hoping God will bless us with a greater blessing. We give because we love God and we love His kingdom. And if God chooses to bless it, I'll say hallelujah, thank you Jesus. I'll do a little dance and I'll get excited. But honey, we don't give just to get a blessing back. And there's the light gospel. We got light cheese, light butter, light everything. Light soft drinks. And then... There's people that want a light version of the gospel. This gospel proclaims that if it feels good, just do it. And as long as it doesn't physically hurt anybody, no matter what the Bible says, just do it anyhow. This gospel doesn't demand much. Just give an offering regularly and a few hours of your time in your week and you'll be okay with God. The demands of God can be adjusted to your convenience. But our experience in God is not meant to make us just feel good. Quite on the contrary, you cannot experience God and feel good about yourself. When Isaiah 6 and 1, we read, O King, it said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And above it stood the cerebums, and one cried out, another said, 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at his voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He realized that I am nothing. I am just a nobody and a nothing, but he's everything. And friend, when this gospel gets a hold of you, and it really affects you the way God wants it to affect you're going to see God where he needs to be, and you're going to see yourself where you need to be. Everything's going to be in perspective when you get this gospel inside your heart. Would you stand with me?